In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the weekend and welcome to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, very excited about today's show. We welcome back Steve Orlando. Steve is doing great work, not only at Image and Boom and other places, certainly DC. A great listing of work, including things like Midnighter and the Justice League and Batman events. Uh, did a great crossover of Batman and the Shadow. We still haven't talked to him about that. Shame on us. But uh, really here to talk not only about his current run on Wonder Woman, but Electric Warriors. What is Electric Warriors? You might remember the title from the 80s like I did, but the good news is uh, DC has taken the title and turning it into a very interesting event that Steve is writing about the DC Universe in the future. Now, we've seen specs of the future before. Certainly, we're aware of uh, the reverse Flash coming from the 24th century. And we're aware of Commandy's time and the great uh, burn and the fall of uh, civilization of Earth. And then, of course, there's the utopia of the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th and 31st centuries. Well, what happened in between? What happened after the fall of civilization and the rise of the animals of Commandy's Earth to the point of getting to the utopia of the 30th century or the 31st century. This is the area that Electric Warriors is going to explore with a lot of familiar races and uh, some really interesting ideas from Steve Orlando. I am very excited to talk to him about that. You'll hear that in the conversation where I pretty much just step aside and let Steve describe this event that's coming in the fall. So uh, really neat stuff. Really happy to welcome Steve back. Uh, I enjoy talking to him. He knows his DC Universe history, and that's why it's a pleasure to talk to him. We get into his Doom Patrol run and the great Doom Patrol Justice League crossover that Steve was in charge of as well. So, fun stuff with Steve Orlando on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your wonderful support via Patreon. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help the cause out, do you think the level of conversation you hear on Word Balloon is entertaining enough for you to, you know, spend the price of a comic book? Maybe even a dollar a month? If you think so, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, there are a ton of trades with Steve Orlando's name on it. Great stuff at InStock Trades. I mentioned the crossover between the Doom Patrol and the Justice League. It's called Milk Wars. That trade paperback is available at 42% off, $11.59. You can also get Batman, Night of the Monster Men, one of the Rebirth trades, a big crossover, the first crossover of Rebirth. Uh, Steve and Raleigh uh, Rosmo, among others, uh, doing this. It is 42% off, 
eleven dollars and forty nine. Pardon me, fourteen dollars and forty nine cents for the hardcover. Nine dollars and eighty five cents for the trade. You can also get Justice America, Justice League of America, The Road to Rebirth. You can tell I'm excited. It's the night before Terrificon as I'm posting this. That's why I'm kind of in a rush here. But uh, that book, The Road to Rebirth, Justice League of America, 42% off, $8.69. That's Steve Orlando, Jody Hauser, Yvonne Rice, and others doing the wonderful work on that. You can also get The Extremist, Justice League of America, Volume 1, with uh, Steve's team. 42% 42% off $9.85. There's volume three, $9.85. There's the Midnight Midnighter and Apollo trade, uh, the great team together again, 42% off $9.85. You can also get Midnighter, the first volume, out, a great groundbreaking series, and that is 42% off $8.69. Some of the great Steve Orlando product that is available to you at InStockTrades.com. There's a hell of a lot more. Take advantage of this and get some great books at great prices with Steve Orlando's name on them and a lot more. We'll tell you more in the last uh, break here, but uh, find it all at InStockTrades.com. All right, before we get started with our conversation with Steve Orlando, this is the weekend of Terrificon. I hope to see you there. Uh, Later on, I'm dropping this episode on Friday, and on Friday I have uh, three panels. I'm very excited about them. Starting at 5 o'clock. The Psychology of Wolverine with Dr. Susanna Flores, who just wrote a book about the psychology of Wolverine, and the great Roy Thomas. That's from a 5 to 6 local time. It's in Earth Ballroom A. Then at uh, 6 o'clock, Forging the Infinity Gauntlet with Jim Starlin, Ron Lim, Joe Rubenstein. Man, I'm telling you, I'm very excited about this. I'll be doing that from 6 to 7, same room. Uh, by the way, in uh, in between, or I should say before my first uh, pod or panel, uh, DC Comics' long-lost love, Paul Kupperberg, is going to be talking to Barbara Freelander. In fact, Paul and I discussed this on my interview with Paul. And, uh, man, what a great chance to look at the romance line with uh, one of the great editors of DC's romance line, Barbara Freelander. I'm going to be attending that panel as I await doing the Psychology of Wolverine panel. And then, like I said, 6 to 7, the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, then from 7 to 8, Paul is back with the panel with Henry Winkler. Are you kidding me? The Fonz? I am kicking myself. Way to go, Paul. Can't wait for that conversation. And then from 8 to 9, Venom, 30 years of the Sinister Symbiote with Dave Michelini, Larry Hama, Ron Friends, and Ryan Stegman. Very excited about that as well. And uh, we pick apart Venom. We put Venom under the microscope with some great creative minds. And I'm looking forward to that. Then on Saturday, man... They, they got me working like a dog here. From 11.30 to 12.30, Hail King T'Challa, the Black Panther panel with Don McGregor, Christopher Priest, Bob Almond, and Afua Richardson. Very excited about that. Then 12.30 to 1.30, a tour through Marvel's Cosmic History with Roy Thomas and Jim Starlin, the beginnings of Marvel Cosmic with two of the uh, creators that are involved with that. Then from 1.30 to 2.30, this is going to be fun. What's new at Marvel Comics? Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sobolski, an old Word Balloon friend, another old Word Balloon friend, uh, Charles Soule, and another Word Balloon friend, Nick Spencer. So uh, three of my guys. Can't wait to talk to them about what's happening now at the House of Ideas. And then from two to three, it's 80 Years of Superman with Roger Stern, Pete Tomasi, Jerry Ardway, and Paul Kupperberg. Wow. Cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. So those are my Saturday panels. And then one panel on Sunday, and I'm very excited that they did this, 
from two to three, Robin, the hero's journey from sidekick to death to resurrection to Nightwing. A look at the history of Batman's loyal companion, Denny O'Neill, Jim Starlin, Mike Barr, Tim Seeley, and Pete Tomasi. Wow. So, uh, again, I'll be bringing all of these to you in Word Balloon Podcasts, hoping that the sound uh, goes through and everything works out all right. So, barring any technical difficulties, you're going to have eight hours of uh, great panels from uh, Word Balloon and Terrificon. So, uh, thanks again to Mitch Halleck for letting me be a part of Terrificon. I'm very excited about this show. Cannot wait to come back to you guys next week and start cranking out uh, the great programming from Terrificon. I hope that if you're in the tri-state area, you're planning on showing up at Mohegan Sun this weekend for Terrificon. It's three days of uh, hilarity, comic book history, great celebrities. Uh, Ralph Macchio is there, the Karate Kid, Henry Winkler, the Fawn, Sam Jones, uh, Flash Gordon, of course, um, and now I'm forgetting her name, but Mantis from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Infinity War. Uh, very, very exciting time among some of the great celebrities. They're going to be there. Uh, Paul Souls, the original voice of Spider-Man, the old uh, Ralph Bashke and Greenway uh, cartoon of the 60s, the 67 Spider-Man. Can't wait to meet him. Uh, it's I'm very, very excited about this show. And, and uh, the comic book men are going to be there. Everybody but Kevin Smith and Walt Flanagan. So uh, Mike Zapsik and Ming Chen and uh, the big guy. And I'm forget forgive me, big guy. I'm forgetting your name, Brian Johnson, I believe. So uh, that'll be fun, and I I hope to meet those guys as well. So lots of fun at Terrificon this weekend. But right now, even more fun with our buddy Steve Orlando. I am so excited for Electric Warriors. But I think uh, his Wonder Woman run has been excellent as well, and he's got three more issues of that to go, and also uh, other great uh, projects that we talk about. So uh, join me for this wonderful conversation with Steve Orlando now on Word Balloon. Steve Orlando, welcome back to Word Balloon. This is great, man. It's our our second conversation, and I and I've been meaning to have you back. And saw you, God, last Jesus, not uh, this past uh, San Diego to San Diego. So go, I think is the last time I saw you face to face. It has been a long time, man, but uh, and a lot has changed. But it's good to be back. Yeah, man. Hey, now let's start off with uh, two issues into your uh, Wonder Woman run, and I think great start. And uh, it's in the best way. It feels like if somebody were to come out of the movie and go, hey, what's going on with Wonder Woman? They would be very happy because it, it felt, from a tone standpoint, to be very consistent with that. And I think that's a good thing. We hope so. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's you're dealing with you're dealing with so many decades of uh, of interesting stuff with her, but you also have to be welcoming to people. It's one of the big reasons we started the run with that sort of like thesis statement, fifty one, like. She's been through the ringer, uh, obviously, with all the revelations about her past and mm -hmm. uh, even going back to New 52, you know, where is she from? Who is she really? And so much of Greg's run, so much of Shay's run upended those things. So we really felt like this is a start. This is a new table setting issue, a new moment. So that's why we did 51 like it was. Uh, just be like, if this is your first Wonder Woman comic ever, you know exactly who she is what she's about. And now that we know that we can blow it up and do a big Michael Bay blockbuster for four issues, uh, and, and, and show the other side, you know, and that's, what's cool about her. It's the same character, you know, the, the, the same, the same person that spends years meeting up with Mayfly in prison in the middle of Antarctica is the person that can be in Mexico, you know, going to punch Tezcat Lapoca in the face. Uh, and, and, and I think that's pretty, that's pretty, that makes it pretty fun. The Mayfly issue was great. And, uh, yeah, I think it was, 
a really good, you know, I, I'm always happy to read a done in one. And I think, again, uh, it was, I was talking to Joel Jones last night and uh, we were talking about conversations and how, you know, I like this evolution in comics and I think conversations only lead to deeper character. And that was really a good interplay between Mayfly and Diana. And then, as you say, boom, you know, uh, into this really interesting uh, team up with Artemis and a new Aztec. Now, I've now I have not seen this Aztec before. Is this her first appearance or is this uh, somebody that has has already appeared before? Uh, well, she appeared in. Well, there's two answers to that. Uh, one is she appeared in Grant Morrison's JLA in Rock of Ages when they flash forward to the future. Oh, sure. Oh, my God. I've only yeah. read that story once, but now I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's one answer because I really wanted to, like, I, I always loved that that's where he saw the sort of tradition going in the future. And, you know, 20 years in real time have passed. So I figured, hey, like, obviously Darkseid didn't take over the Earth. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, maybe the future is here. So let's let's find a way to, to, to go back to Aztec and, and get her and get her in the uh, in the outfit. So so yeah. that was uh, but she debuted as well, like. You know that that's the sort of nerd answer. Uh, she debuted in JLA twenty one, my Justice League of America run. We did some work with her. Very and then, cool. Okay. And the team soon after. That's awesome, man. No, that's great. Now I don't know. Did you hear from Aztec uh, fans that are like, "Hey, what the hell? <laughs> why why have we gone to her as opposed to uh, you know Grant's Aztec and everything?" Well, I mean, that guy did blow up, so I think that. Uh, oh, why didn't he not- see it, man? Dude, this is. <laughs> I'm showing my modern. Just well, I guess really not modern because it goes back to the nineties. But yeah, I you know, I mean, I can throw down with anybody when it comes to golden age or silver age or bronze age for the most part. But I have to admit, the nineties are my blind spot. Is that when Aztec blew up? Yeah, no. He in in the in the climactic arc of Grant's JLA, he sacrifices himself to try to stop Mageddon, this giant like arch arch uh, antagonist <laughs> of the book, and he fails. Uh, but but in the process. Yeah, so he blows up, and and when he and uh, and then his helmet crashes into uh, into Nyeli Constant's apartment in Austin, Texas, and and that's where her story picks up. Now, I I will admit, like it's funny you say that, like the Golden Age, the Silver Age. I'm pretty good at all that stuff, not issue numbers, but lore stuff. Like I sure. can always answer. Those. But if you ask Tom King, like 1997 is my Golden Age. Like he thinks my whole plan <laughs> is to make it 1997 again. Um, that's and awesome. I, that's I like, can't. I can't comment on that. But um, <laughs> hey, man, that's all right. That's that's like John's with uh, JLA Detroit, and I'm always like, really? <laughs> and he's like, hey, no. I'm, in the right hands, everyone's favorite era can be amazing. That's so, what I said. You got know. some things coming up that are really going to put that to the test. But you know, that's uh, fantastic, man. That's hilarious. At the end of the month, you'll know one of them. Hopefully. Okay. Well, and and I think. You know, I've been trying to catch up with the cons that I miss, and uh, one, and thank God for YouTube, where sometimes somebody smart and actually videos some of these great conferences or, or you know convention panels. And there was one where it was it was before Jeff's job changed, and it was uh, Jim Lee and Didio and 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 Jeff, and then they introduced everybody on stage, and I remember them introducing you on stage. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was probably a WonderCon. That oh, WonderCon! That was the Rebirth live stream. Yeah, there that's when uh, that's when we announced Supergirl uh, um, and and all those other Rebirth books. Yeah. Okay. Well, and yeah, and he said that you know, man, you can go you know deep on uh, 
a lot of C and D level DC characters. And I'm like, all right, note. Next time I talk to Steve, we're gonna have to talk about some of those great uh, under the radar DC characters. And uh, you know, I mean, Justice League action when like Space Cabby became <laughs> became such an important part of Justice League action. I'm like, finally. <laughs> Yeah, I keep telling I keep telling uh I keep telling Mark Russell who should pitch the heckler, you know. Sure. Uh, sure. And, and and like anytime I find a character that's even like also Odd Man would be great. And I'm just like like I feel like he wants to block my number, so I'm just sending him <laughs> these like these like who's who snapshots of characters that I think only Mark Russell could pull off. Like they're out of my realm, you know? Like and and, and on to the realm of a man who made the Flintstones one of the best books of its time. Agreed. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Honestly, when I first saw the art, I'm like, I don't know, man, why are you going off model? And then, of course, I read it, and I'm like, never mind. (laughs) This is fantastic. And really, all those Hanna-Barbera crossovers uh, with the DC characters have been great. Did you do one? I did a Looney Tunes. I did a Martian Manhunter and Marvin the Martian. Yes, of course. I don't remember if we talked about that last time or not. I don't think we did. Probably before it came out, actually, last time we did it might be, yeah. I mean, it's been, I think, like it almost maybe two years, you know, since we since I've been on. Yeah, I did sure that. I've been I've been all over the place, man. I did another one of my dream characters is uh, the 1974 Sandman character, like uh, from the with, from the Dream Dimension. Yep, yep. And Simon, I, Simon, and Kirby, the original Simon and Kirby back uh, the one of those first issue specials again. Yeah. It's sadly, young man, I I bought that uh, back when it was on uh, twenty cents or twenty five cents, whatever the hell it was back then. You know, that's uh, that was I think you know probably when I was like eleven or twelve when that thing came out. I well, I love that character. I still love the character. I'd like to do more with him. But I got to do that in a in a in a in a tribute book to uh, to the King's hundredth birthday. So I got to work on that with Rick Leonardi, which was awesome. That's great. Uh, that whole book was gorgeous. The other story was Jurgens and a returning John Bogdanov, who is awesome still yeah. and yeah. even better than he used to be. So like, I was very excited to see him back. Um, I've been all over. Uh, I've been all over, man. Um, I mean, at DC, mostly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and, and, you know, your Justice League run, uh, I, I, how'd you feel about it? Uh, I mean, I, I, we got to do some, some crazy things and, and do some, uh, I think, huge moments. You know, I mean, Batman and Black Canary uh, restart an entire universe uh, but before, <laughs> before the book is over. So, like... <laughs> Uh, we went big, but there, but you know, we got to do stuff that I think, uh, I, I hope sticks around. Honestly, the surprise for me, the book was the Lobo and Adam stuff. Like when he would, when they told me they wanted us to give him a try on the team, I was kind of like, Lobo, what is this? Like, uh, how does he fit into a justice league? But that's sort of like, like shitty big brother aspect that he took on with Adam ended up being something I really, really like. Uh, probably because most of my friends from home have like cut off flannel uh, shirts and things like. That. <laughs> uh, but, but I ended up really liking it. I'd love to do. I, I, you know, Panic in the Microverse. In looking in retrospect, uh, where we sort of built up the Microverse, the DC Universe, probably my favorite of the arcs. But I'm proud of everything we did there. That's awesome, man. That's great. Now back to Wonder Woman f- for a second. Um, is your artist now for this Enemy of Both Sides arc? That started with this week's fifty-two. Um, is is this your uh, regular art team, or will be for this art? Because it's different than fifty-one as far as art goes. It is. Yeah, we had we were very lucky to have Laura Braga on fifty-one, and uh, and with fifty-two to fifty-three, we have ACO who did Midnighter with me. Oh sure, and, okay. 
And then 54 to 55, we have Raul Allen, who's coming over from Valiant to do some stuff at DC for the first time. And he's doing really, uh, really, really creative stuff. And that's when we're going to... The arc uh, sort of does have an act break, and we do Mexico, and then we go to Kurak and do Bonamigdal, uh, and, and the through line is the is the is the lost Amazon and Artemis and and, and Diana. So it, it is a four-issue arc, but there's a definite act break. So when that changes, we move over to Rawl, who's been working on the uh, the Bonamigdal segments, and they're they're really really cool. Well, I'll tell you, ACO, holy shit, I love the design stuff, and also your letterer. Who I imagine is playing a big role in uh, in fifty two as well, and I'm looking up to make sure. Oh, it's Saida. Yeah, Saida Saida Temofanti. Yeah, uh, they're fantastic. Like, I mean, I'm actually like I'm always the, lettering. I think is a linchpin of any great book. Like, people tend to tend to maybe overlook it in reviews and things like that, and that's their prerogative, by the way. But like, I I I have watched it ruin a book, and I've watched it make a book and be the glue that holds it together. So Said is fantastic. I've been super lucky to work with Thomas Maurer a lot, and love uh, Tom. And uh, and. You know, man, as I think back to it, my first thing ever was lettered by Jared K. Fletcher. I've been I've been very lucky at DC. Oh, and and Steve Wands, uh, who are uh, uh, and Clem Robbins, also some classic guys who did great work on Supergirl, and Clem on Milk Wars, which was actually awesome because Clem, you know, we had some scenes in there where Rita Farr was like a space Jesus, and uh, and. And Clem is, you know, is 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 somewhat religious, and and he looked at and he looked at the uh, the sections that were supposed to look like excerpts in the Bible, and he actually, knowing what he knows, uh, changed my like where I decided what should be bold and what should be capitalized or italicized, and he changed it uh, in to, to actually match the way that things are presented in like a very specific like either like King James Bible or something like that, and. And it, you know, it, it it just made the book better. So 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 and more authentic. So uh, lettering is huge, and yes, I is fantastic. I, I've been lucky all around. Well, and yeah, and again, the combination of uh, ACO's art along with uh, his uh, is it is it a he or she ACO? I don't even know. ACO uh, ACO is uh, initials. It's a yeah. He's it's a him. Okay. Yes. So he and David Lorenzo. Yeah, it's gorgeous, and I love the uh, Mexican uh, or Aztecan. Uh, art that that we're seeing and stuff and again yeah the i think the lettering absolutely supports it and yeah it's great no, no it's very uh very jh williams i think in terms of the ambition in some of the page design that we're seeing in issue 52 yeah i mean i the nice thing is I, i'm working this book marvel style you know oh, wow, uh, cool. which is how i've been doing almost well it's a modified marvel style i shouldn't say that like i i do i do pages uh without panel breaks but i do do almost full dialogue so people know what's coming in that respect uh and it's something i started doing with riley rosmo and shadow batman um and and it's just made the work better you know it gives it, it you know your creative team knows you trust them you respect them and then they and they've got the room to innovate and that's where you get stuff people always say how do you write those like 18 panel pages for aco well i don't because i would feel like an asshole if i said 18 panel pages um <laughs> But what I do is say, here's the here are the actual beats of the page. Here's the action. Here's the emotion. Here's the most important stuff. Do your thing, and and that's what he comes back with. And 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 that's how you get, I think, some of my favorite pages and books I've been part of. 
because people, you know, artists, when, when they feel that camaraderie and that true collaboration, they, they innovate. And, you know, and then there's the other side, as I said, like I've gotten pages back from Riley and ACO where I'm like, good Lord, if I like, I could never good conscious say, make this a, make this a 21 panel page. Like, no, they would, they'd come for me. And, uh, so, so it works in many ways, but that's how Wonder Woman has been done. Um, that's how everything, man, for at least the past year and a half or longer has been done. Ever since Riley sort of like kicked me in the ass and was like, we'll make a better book uh, if you do it this way. Uh, I've been doing it this way uh, unless people explicitly ask otherwise. And uh, it's been working out. That's awesome, man. That's great. Are we going to see more, without getting into detail, uh, other DCU characters as your arcs progress beyond this first one? I mean, again, great to see Artemis. Great to see Aztec. Great to see uh, Wonder Woman's uh, aunt <laughs> in there as well. It's actually her great aunt, but like like family, like in real life, family connections are so unwieldy that I just like I feel like you know I have a large Italian family. Like everybody's just a cousin, you know. And you go to <laughs> you go to you go to a thing. And you're like, how are you? Like, there's a 75 year old man, me, and an, and a 10 year old like like person, and oh, we're all cousins. Yep. Like, how's it work? Well, you know, actually, we're second cousins once removed, and a bunch of bullshit. Anyway, so. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, like there, she's her great aunt. And that was actually an idiosyncrasy of the new 52. Like I, I'm trying to work within what we have. Um, and yeah, Atalanta's Antiope's sister and Antiope, as I looked and read the, the, the new 52 run is actually Hippolyta's mom. Uh, whereas back before that she was Hippolyta's sister. And I guess that actually in, I hope was an on purpose way references that in myth, some people, uh, have questioned about what her role was in actual Greek myth, or it could have just happened because someone thought they should change it. But in my mind, it was to reflect the ambiguity of living myth. That's probably not true. I'm but anyway, you. no, that's uh, great, man. And I, I boy, but anyway, yeah. Um, to answer your question, though, uh, well, you know, I, I'm only on for five issues. We've got. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm doing it, and then we have this big. Uh, I've already seen. Uh, I've already seen pages from it. This this one month. Uh, event that James Tynan is doing between Justice League Dark and Wonder Woman called The Witching Hour. I can't really say more about that, uh, but it's got witch in the name and it comes out in October, so, you know, do the math. Yeah. Uh, and then we have, and then the main Wonder Woman creative team comes in, which is G. Willow Wilson and Carrie Nord, and they're going to do amazing, amazing work. So I know a little bit about what's coming there, too, but you will find out soon enough. Um I'm just very excited for that. So I knew, you know, like these five issues, I'm doing everything I possibly can. There's big, big advancement for especially Artemis's character uh, and her relationship with Diana. Uh, but, you know, if I never get a chance to work with Diana again, I will have done everything. Obviously, I could do more, but I will have done everything I need to do in these five issues. And I'll put this collection uh, high on my high on my uh, my my bookshelf of things I've written, maybe out of alphabetical order, which because I'm obsessive would really mean something to me. <laughs> no, it's honestly, man, great start. And yeah, I, you know, did they announce that at uh, San Diego that G Willow and, uh, and Carrie are going to be taking over? Uh, it was a little bit before. Yeah. Okay. But, they, uh, but yeah, no. So they're going to be picking it up come November. That's cool. Uh, so consequently, Carrie is off the unexpected. Uh, yes, and let's talk about. So, so tell me what you're doing in the unexpected. Uh, we're doing we're doing um, a book that has two mandates. You know, like it's it, it, they're they're brand new characters to the DC universe, just like every New Age of DC Heroes book. 
Um, and at the same time, unexpected ties together uh, like existing DC lore with new age lore. And they're there confronting uh, massive, massive sort of like event level threats before they can actually blow up into those events. So, you know, like, you know, there's a thousand years where the anti-monitor was, was getting ready to, to, to perform crisis on infinite earths. And, and, and in theory, this team led by a new neon, the unknown, uh, gets there before it can get that bad. And, and to that end, they're, they're, they're going against Anamar Sin, who is, who's, uh, sort of on this downward spiral after Dark Knight's metal and is more dangerous than ever. And as we've seen, uh, the true person behind waiting in the wings is Mandrak from Final Crisis. Uh, and, and he's going to be part of the book in a big way. So these are new heroes confronting threats, you know, in, in the darkest shadows of the DC universe before they can come into the light. And we've got Neon the Unknown, um, a cursed artist who, uh, who has the power to basically manipulate reality like he would paint or clay. But the trade-off for him getting his powers is that the ritual that showed him the world forge, which uh, is where all creation comes from in, in metal, also robbed him of his sight. So he's, uh, the whole world is his palette, but he can never see uh, the works he's creating. And and then he is working with the new Firebrand, uh, the latest Firebrand, hopefully the last one. I hope this one sticks. Uh, and she's been probably my favorite new creation at DC Comics. Uh, a paramedic, she's injured in, in metal and... To save her, uh, they replace her heart with something called the conflict engine, which runs on violence and aggression. So even though she spent her whole life trying to save people, now if she doesn't hurt people, if she doesn't get in a fight once every 24 hours, her heart will stop and she'll die. Well, that's so interesting. She, <laughs> uh, she has some conflict. Um, and, 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 and it's just been a super exciting book to do. Like if I had my way, like, it's funny because I'm, as you said, like my, my name is as the, the sort of like deep cut DC continuity guy. And I love doing that. But if I could just create new things that are part of that tapestry, uh, for the rest of my time there, I'd be probably even more exciting about that. Like to see Firebrand and Neon and, and by the way, Sideways, Brimstone, Silencer has been an awesome book. Uh, like all these new age characters going into the DC universe and, and, and integrating, um, it's just awesome, you know, uh, and, and I'm very excited to be part of it. Uh, I think it's very cool, uh, when, when we make these sort of efforts to, in my opinion, give back to readers, you know, like there should be a thank you. One of the reasons we're doing things like unexpected and the new age of heroes in general is like, these days, like, you can get Supergirl, you can take Wonder Woman, you can get Wonder Woman uh, in film, you can get Supergirl on TV, and now soon film. Uh, we want to thank our, our, our diehard readers and give them something that they can only get in comics, something special just for them, and that's one of the reasons the New Age was started. So to be part of that, very exciting. Uh, and, you know, Firebrand is a character right in the vein of Midnighter. Uh, she hits a lot of people in the face, so it's, 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 it's pretty strongly in my vein. Okay, that's cool. You know, I got, I have to confess, I found metal very impenetrable. I couldn't get into it. I don't know why. Um, I wanted to, and I read a lot of the early issues, and then it just, to me, spread out and got into things that I was just like, all right, I, I uh, maybe I'll get back to it. 
and you know, I mean, you, you, you with every intention, and then I, I didn't, and uh, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm due to have a new talk with Scott, so Scott's going to have to take me by the by the hand and kind of explain. I mean, I do understand that the source wall is bleeding and and all this stuff. So with these new characters, are they hitting? I mean, it sounds like they're hitting established tropes, like you just said, with the unexpected and dealing with, you know, the anti-monitors plan and stuff like that. Is that the hook? So we've got new characters kind of dealing with recognizable problems in the DC universe. Is that how you would say it? Or uh, Well, that's the hook for the unexpected. But each book is different. You know, I mean, there is usually an anchor uh, depending on depending on the book. Uh, but they're all they're all they're all new sort of paths you can go down in the DC universe. And, sure. that's what and, and yeah, like there's a road sign on, on all of those paths. For us, it's, well, since solicits are out, for us it's not only Mandrak and Anamarsin, but it's that Hawkman is going to be joining the team. Oh, cool. Uh, and, and, uh, and for like a book like Silencer, is that she's new, but she used to work for Talia, you know, like. And, and okay, a- so she was in the League of Assassins or whatever. Uh, Immortal Man has a ton of new characters, but is centered around uh, uh, the Immortal Man, the you know the the opposite of the the enemy of Vandal Savage. So they're all outgrowths of and uh, of, of parts of the DC universe that had previously just not been built out or not been explored. And I think that's really fun. I mean, sure. I I uh, I love new man. That's really what it like. Like that's what like Tom, again. Like to bring it back, Tom will joke about 1997, but the late 90s there were so many books that I, I just was that maybe only showed up for like six issues, but they were trying new things and they were exciting. Like I mentioned Heckler. There was Vexed, which I think was uh, Giffen and Mike McCone, which was about the the god of bad luck. <laughs> Um, and he was, and he wasn't immune to his own powers. So he was basically just like, you know, having had the worst day every day. Uh, you know, there was, there were just some, I mean, Hitman came out of that. Hitman came out sure. of, uh, out of blood. What was that called? It yeah. wasn't called uh, bloodlines. Bloodlines. Yeah. Bloodlines. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. So, well, when Dan, when Dan first took over, I really liked the focus books that he did. And God, I mean, one of Steve Gerber's last great things was Hard Time. And I always tell Brian, um, and now I'm blanking on Brian's last name, Six Gun with Colin Bunn. Brian Hewitt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not Hewitt, but I forget. And man, I'm sorry, Brian, if you're listening, because he's a good dude, and I always say hello to him when I see him. And I always tell him, I mean, really, Hard Time, really. I was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. And sadly, Steve died, so, you know, they didn't get to finish it, but... um, and I think it might have even been canceled before they really got it going. But no, I can I can appreciate that, and I and I think you're right. And also, why not? I mean, and and provide for a new reader the same excitement that you saw in '97 with those new books and everything. So no, I get that, and I think that's awesome. That's cool. Very interesting. I like it. Um, well, now I mean, and we were talking about it before we got started. Uh, Doom Patrol. So so catch me up, because I like the I like the idea of Rita being a god. Um, what's, uh, what's Cliff doing these days, Robot Man? Well, okay, so, so Milk Wars came about because Gerard and I are both pretty big, as, as you've heard, like DC nerds, and so we met, and we were just talking about this minutia and obscuria, and we decided we wanted to do, like, like his line, Young Animal, uh, with, uh, you know, safe to say, sort of stranger, more art-focused books, and oh, we yeah. sort of say, like, what would an event look like for Young Animal? And, and and that's how the Justice League of America 
meets Doom Patrol. That's how DC Universe meets Young Animal. That's how Milk Wars came about. Um, and it was in many ways like the anti-event, you know, like it was modular. It is modular. Like each, the first four books take place at the same time and then they all meet, uh, in the last book. Um, and you know, it was, it, it was very bizarre. It's about Redco, uh, which is, a a, uh, a, a extra, an extra dimensional corporation that is trying to sell off the DC universe, uh, after the events of Doom Patrol, so uh, and and they're trying to do it in a fire sale. So, like, in, in order to make sure that they can sell it, uh, they're trying to make it as bland and generic and as broadly appealing as possible. And to do that, uh, they're using they're using they're using milk, uh, distributed by the homogenized Trinity, which is Milkman Man, Wonder Wife, and Father Bruce, who's a sinister uh, headmaster of a boys' finishing school. Um, and that's what sort of the first three books center around. Um, and that's sort of the macro view, you know, the okay. micro, the, the micro view is, 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 you know, granular and strange, but at the end of the day, it's about the justice league of America. Who's one of the most sort of, uh, I would say, um, diverse justice leagues that the DC's put out and doom patrol a team that is well known as being strange. Yep. Uh, it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's those two teams versus the monoculture. It's those two teams fighting the fight, uh, for individuality. And, and Rita eventually says that in the book. Uh, and just like Crisis and Infinite Earths, it's an event that tees up the, this recent wave of Young Animal that's now just wrapping up. It intros new characters, it repositions characters. It's funny you ask about Cliff. There are massive repercussions for Cliff, uh, in the, in, in the book where you find out that, well, actually, throughout Gerard's Doom Patrol run, like, Cliff finds out that he's actually not the real Cliff Steele. Like, he looks just like Grant's 1980s uh, Robot Man because that he is him. He's fan fiction. He's been plucked out of fan fiction by Redco. Hilarious. And so, you know, eventually the team ends up, uh, Redco pulls the plug, you know, basically puts a magnet to the, to the tower of, to the computer tower of reality and is ready to wipe it clean because they can't. You know, if they, they can't sell it and uh, the teams end up teaming together to use a version of muscle mystery to completely restart reality. But as it should be. And the fear is, you know, for Cliff, if he does this, well, if Retko pulled him from fan fiction, is he supposed to be here at all? What if he's not there? And and he, you know, giving him his flash, his Barry Allen moment says, well, that's, you know, that's just the way it has to be if I'm not here. So anyway, long wow. story short. The team all, uh, the team all, well, they don't flex. They do something else, which you'll see, uh, to use a more dangerous power besides muscle mystery. And they, and they, and they reboot reality. And at the end, Cliff survives, but he's human. And that's where he is when the book starts again. So wow. you find Wow. That's awesome. Oh my God. All right. Now, all right. This is good. I'm going to have to go back. Go back and read Milk Wars. That's fantastic, man. That's and we haven't and we haven't even touched on Rita. You know, she's yeah she she's been she's been pulled out of out of reality by Redco, but she's too powerful an idea for them to control. So the the reason, you know, they put her in like a, they're trying to break her spirits. They put her in like a like a honeymooners esque like vaguely abusive TV show uh, type reality, and that's not enough. So they pull her out of there, and then. They, make her live out this like cosmic, like Jim Starlin-esque passion of the Christ where she is 
like on space Golgotha and they're crucifying her. Um, but eventually, but eventually she realizes after having a flashback of her origins and we actually use all the dialogue from her initial, like when she showed up in the Drake series, uh, about how she can stretch at will. And she realizes that she can't just stretch her mind or excuse me, her body. She can stretch her mind and she actually stretches her consciousness outside of her body, kind of like the real Jesus and, 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 and escapes escapes into all of reality as just this disembodied consciousness. And when the reality is rebooted, she's able to sneak back in uh, and reform herself and join the team as if she had never not been there. But only she knows that all of this happened. She's the psycho pirate of this story in many ways. That's like she, amazing. She knows everything that happened. But to the Doom Patrol and to everyone else there, oh, Rita's always been here, uh, you know, for the last 12 years. Hilarious. But, but it, That's fantastic. Wow. God damn, man. Look at all the shit I'm missing. This is wonderful. I appreciate this, man. I hope I'm, I hope I'm not disappointing you. There's a, oh yeah, we wrote some really cool stuff, man. I'm sorry you didn't read it. And I couldn't like I just being able to write Lobo and Robot Man in a fight. Oh, and Lobo becomes like the whole Justice League becomes homogenized, so they become the Community League of Rhode Island because that's where Happy Harbor is. <laughs> and, and they're all like neighborhood watch. And the first one you see is Lobo, who looks like. Like Dick Van Dyke Lobo, he's you know he's Carl Lobo and he's the head of the neighborhood watch with like slick backed hair and a cardigan and a, and a pipe instead of a cigar. Uh, his first line, like like Cliff calls him like a crumb bum or something, and he's like, "Well, that type of language is big no before ten o'clock, friend." You know, and uh, is this collected? Have they collected all this? Oh, it's oh, it's collected. ACO did the first issue of it actually from Wonder Woman, and yeah. he. Uh, Man, he got us too. Like, like you know, not not to talk behind the scenes too much, but there's a four page spread pullout in the book. We've never DC's never run one before, and uh, you know, artists sometimes they just do things. So uh, he just turned it in a four page spread, even though he had never told us and didn't know if it could even be done. And then he was like, "Oh well, Marvel did it on Nick Fury," and then magically everything worked out. Uh, Upon hearing it had been done, you know, across the street. And now we have a four-page pull-out spread in a DC collection, which, you know, at least hasn't been done in years, if not ever. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Jesus, man. Very cool. See, now I was focusing on uh, Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye because I love Cave Carson. And, and also I love Oming. So I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm in for that. And Bug, well, the, Bug looked interesting. Forager, you know. The issue is probably the weirdest of them all so so be warned uh there's a great scene that john came up with and this is the other thing like we 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 put the it's an anti-event as well because other than like the broad keep the story moving beats we really left everything open for the for the creators to express themselves you know like wonder wife is it like if cecil and mirka and dolfo who drew it were not into that idea like they could have gone horribly awry, you know. She 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 has the golden vacuum of truth. She's basically Betty Draper. Um, but they but they found they wanted to say something with it, and likewise, like John came up with this amazing scene in a in Cave Carson where he's actually infiltrated the Redco headquarters when the story starts, and uh, and you don't know who his team up is with. I mean, like. Obviously, no, because it's on the cover. But uh, but but so he he gets hungry for some reason, and he starts. He goes into like the automat and starts eating all of the salads, like ravenously, ravenously. eats all the salads, 
And then he throws up all the salad and you find out that he snuck Swamp Thing in and his bacterial flora. <laughs> That's excellent, man. Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at all you guys are doing behind my back. That's wonderful. That's terrific, man. So it's, uh, I'm very proud of Milk Wars. It's a weird thing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What else would you expect from me and and Gerard and and, and everyone else in Young Animal? So it's, it's pretty, it's, it was pretty awesome putting it together. That's excellent. So post Wonder Woman, have they announced what you're, uh, I mean, actually, one thing I know we're going to talk about. Uh, is Electric Warriors and I is that your post Wonder Woman uh, deal? Um, it's one of them. Uh, and are we my... not allowed to talk about Electric Warriors? Because I'll edit if we if we can talk about Electric Warriors 100. Uh, percent There is another announcement that I've been teasing for a long time, and I'm hoping it's coming soon. Uh, we decided to hold off for a little bit at San Diego because that's just such a yeah such a, a tornado of, of news uh but there's something i've been working on man for over a year at this point and and it's finally going to be announced soon it's a dream book and i really can't wait for you guys to see what it's been uh been doing it's the best thing i've ever done and even beyond me the artist on it is doing far and away the best work of his career like he's redefining comic storytelling and uh i will um if you're sworn to secrecy, I will I will text you some pictures from it, but you can't say what it is, but you can react to it. Okay. Oh, oh, hold on. I have to then I have to grab my phone. Hang on one second. <laughs> Message on. me remember as we're talking here. Yeah, by all means, Phil. Yeah, vamp. Will you, will you vamp for two seconds? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, man. So, but on the topic of uh, you know working in DC Comics, uh, like I'm talking about a dream project, and it's this is really like why. I think it's an incredible company to work at. You make the you make the name for yourself as you can, but you build these relationships uh, with you guys, the readers. And you know, it's crazy to me that five years ago, if I was talking about a dream project at DC, no one would care. And now, like I have the support uh, because of people who've read Midnight or people who've read uh, Justice League of America, Supergirl, Batman in the Shadow. The reason I can really be on here talking to John about a dream project is because you guys are supporting me and following me. So when you find out what it is, I'll be saying a lot of thank yous, but since I'm vapping for four minutes we're now, back. We're back. thank you again. <laughs> uh, because, because I couldn't be announcing this book if you guys hadn't stuck with me since 2015, and that's pretty fucking great, so thank you. I love when I walk away and, and the guests keep going. Uh, Tom just did that recently, and way, way back, Fraction did that one time for me where... I had to get up and get something and everything. So no, I like that. It's kind of this, these are like hidden messages when I when I come back and then actually hear the uh, the episode. Oh, and, and the crazy thing is, I had you go get your phone, but I realized I could send you a message a message on Skype. Well, so that's true, joke. but that's all right. No, that would give you a good opportunity to thank everybody for uh, following your stuff. I caught I caught the end of that. That's awesome, man. And yeah, so I'm, I am I am prepared for any any sort of uh, secret messages right now. Well, you're gonna get a couple. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Well, while you're sending, we can we can start to talk about uh, Electric Warriors because, like I told you when you when I asked you, I'm, I wanted the grocery list of what you're working on lately. And at first, I'm like, oh, I remember that from the '80s. And you're like, no, 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 different from you know, same title, different concept. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, you know, it's inspired. What I liked, I mean, honestly, Dan came to me and said, "What would you do with Electric Warriors?" Just as a title, throwing it and- out there. Yeah, Go and on. obviously, yes, yeah. I was obviously I was familiar with the uh, the book because I'm familiar with like every DC book, as as he knows. 
Um, but what I really liked about the original, all right, I, I think I've sent you enough when it starts coming through. Is it going to be email or is it going to be, uh, going to be on the Skype messenger. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I see them on there. I just don't know when sure. they're going to come. Um, but if they don't, you can just text me. Uh, but anyway, so there it is. Electric Warriors, what I loved about the original Mench and Bakey series is was A, the design, and B, uh, the just incredible sort of like, not cynicism, but but awareness of, 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 of our human nature. You, know, you find out basically that uh, the whole world of Electric Warriors is like a terrarium. It's like a social experience, and the real humans are assholes who live in another planet at, 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 at one of the big story breaks uh, in it. And... Um, I love that lens. And so we wanted to do that along with uh, the sort of gift that Dan gave me with this book is that we can explore a period that's relatively unexplored in the DC universe, this period of time between the great disaster uh, and, and the Legion of Superheroes, you know, the, the end of the world as, as, as Kirby saw it and the beginning of the world as, well, I'm going to say Giffen saw it, but really the Kurt Swan and, sure, and everyone. And, uh, and, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking now. He, uh, man, I just read an amazing autobiography, or not autobiography, but biography of uh, the writer. Great sci-fi writer as well. Um, so so that was the, sort of the idea of Electric Warriors. Steve, here's an open canvas to create a period of time that we haven't really seen yet. Fantastic. And, yeah, and, that's great. And, and do it with Travel Foreman, who's just one of the most innovative creative artist in comics. Absolutely. It's funny because, you know, he said he was looking for something he could build from the ground up and, and, and he came to us asking about it within, uh, you know, a couple of days of knowing that, that this book was going to maybe be possible. And so that's what we're doing, you know, where, and, and, and people have gotten hung up on is electric warriors continuity to me. Uh, you know, if we're going to get talking into my theory of continuity and my theory of, of the of DC, the DC universe, you know, uh, to me, when it comes to the future, it's all happening until it happened, you know? And I think that's the simplest way to say it. Like, yes, there's a, there's a 27th century in the DC universe that I think like Tommy tomorrow is from, for example, and, like professor zoom is from the, I think the 25th century right. and probably centuries off, but you know what I mean? I'm with you. But to me, the future is like a boondoggle, you know, until you make it into that square thing, everything is flailing out ahead of it. So I think, I mean, this is, I'm writing this book with the sort of, I hope, raw creativity of the future as as maybe you could have had, uh, like, Jack Kirby meets Cyberpunk in this. You know, this could have cool. been, this is yeah. after definitely Commandy, but, uh, but, you know, until it's happened, until the, the main, that our, our main DC Universe story reaches that time. Uh, the future is fluid. So this is the real future, and so is Professor Zoom's future, and so is uh, well, God love him, Tommy Tomorrow's future. You know, so is Twilight that 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 gorgeous Garcia Lopez book, which was like a super dark version of all those characters. Yes, Chicken and Garcia Lopez, absolutely, man, love that. Shaken, book. Writing a cynical book, who would have thought that? Yeah, okay, but, uh, pal. Yeah, you like Tommy Tomorrow? All right, you like this Tommy Tomorrow? Yeah, thanks, Howard. Hit- <laughs> so, um, but uh. But so that's where we're going with Electric Warriors, and and the world of Electric Warriors is one where after the the great uh, the great uh, disaster, we finally like Earth has finally pulled itself out of the shitter, you know, and it's taken thousands of years after after how bad things were in Commandy. Uh, animal tribes are still there. We finally liberated uh, 
humans. We've signed the human personhood accords. We've terror- torn down the wild human reserve, all actual things that were in command. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and much like... You can tell it's raining here. Oh, man, uh, that's a good Riders on the Storm moment. I enjoyed that. Man, all we need is Ray Manzarek's uh, piano right now to uh, really make it happen. Go on. Uh, but but much like in but much like in the real world, having legislation doesn't mean animosity goes away. So sure. uh, you know, as we as, as humans and the animal tribes coexist, we're now in like the second generation, the first generation that wasn't born under the animal yoke, uh, okay. and 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 this is the moment when Earth wants to rejoin the galaxy. The only problem is that the galaxy is now run by something called the Great Compromise. Uh, the galaxy is run by an agreement uh, that instead of having planets go to war, instead of having Thanagar go to war with Sun or New Krypton or, okay. or anything else, or, or, or um, I don't know why I can't think of where Starfire's from. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's so funny, I can't think of the name of it either, but I, I Cameron, I got there you it. go. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, having billions die, each planet now chooses one electric warrior, which is basically their their hero to represent them in trial by combat when it comes to intergalactic uh, conflicts. And so now, instead of losing thousands or billions, uh, every geopolitical intergalactic political dispute is trial by combat, like in Game of Thrones, and and yeah. only one. And has to die one way or another. Uh, so, so in order to rejoin the galactic uh, community, Earth has to choose an electric warrior. One problem: uh, humans uh, and Earth and 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 Earth folks, since they're not all human at this right. point, never been that good at getting along with each other, as you might see. So, uh, Earth is the first planet in intergalactic history that can't choose one electric warrior. Uh, and so, we split our electric seed, which is. Uh, which is this wonderful gift that bonds with your DNA and gives you unique superpowers as an electric warrior. And we split ours uh, between between Oscar Navarro, uh, who's War Cry, the representative from Earth, from the human tribes, and, and Deep Dweller, Kana, who's from the octopus tribes. Uh, <laughs> and, and Earth has two electric warriors. And by the way, could not be more excited about exploring the underwater aspects of, of Kirby's commanding world, because as I read through, there were, was not maybe none, but very little thought about what would be going on, uh, you know, yeah, with, with those types of animals gaining intelligence and especially octopuses, which I just read this book called other minds. And it's about how they're actually the closest we might ever get to meeting aliens because they're as smart as chimpanzees but they're but our their closest relative to every other thing in the planet that has that much intelligence is like eight billion years ago. So they've gotten that smart on a completely different evolutionary track than anything else that has that level of intelligence. Holy shit! So um, I was really fascinated by that book. So when I started thinking about the animal representative, yes, of course it had to be an octopus. And I, you want to talk about lettering? I'm going to tell. I'm going to give you a small craft spoiler. I've decided. So, cuttlefish. This is going in a direction, John. Uh, but I'm getting excited. Uh, cuttlefish. Uh, it's theorized that rather than like sounds, they actually communicate with lights on their body, uh, and that's how they communicate with each other. So, 
God love whoever they choose to, uh, to letter electric warriors, but I've decided that the octopus tribes, when they're talking about their octopi, octopuses, uh, do not use spoken word. They use photo speak. Uh, and so the balloons are going to somehow come from their body and, and their words are going to be in colors because that's what they communicate. And, and that might seem crazy, but to get even more absurd on this interview, um, I, when I was first putting together this book, I had watched videos of Helen Keller listening. And you might think it's, in, it's mad to know if you actually watch how fast these people trace letters in her hand and she responds. So she is understanding it. So though it seems incredible that, uh, that like microscopic changes in the colorings of our body could equate communication in words, uh, when it's your main form of communication, you become hypersensitive and hyper-attuned to it. So uh, I, I think it's totally possible. And, and Travel's going to knock it out of the park because he, 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 he loves challenges like this. Sure. And I, I can't wait to see what lettering comes up with. It might be uh, an envelope full of ricin for me, but it might also be some incredible lettering, uh, depending on how they feel. Um, but anyway, so I'm off on a tangent. No, uh, no, this is all great. Are you kidding me? Jesus, uh, man. Nice going. Holy shit. That's, this sounds incredible. This is great. So Earth's Logic Warriors are the first ever to have two. And this is where obviously a lot of conflict comes from. What happens, you know, what happens when one wins and one loses? You know, we share the planet. So how do, where does the blame go? What happens if Earth has to challenge itself because of that? You know, sure. uh, there are so many problems with having two people representing one planet. And never mind. Uh, you know, the, the questions of, uh, of where, where honor truly lies once they get to the planet covenant, uh, which is where all this happens. Uh, you know, are the electric warriors, the only honorable people left? Like, are the games fair? Uh, is anything really fair? Like have people really changed or is it just a facade? And, uh, and these are the questions that, 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 that I'm excited to ask in this book. And, and it's going to look incredible. It's going to look strange. I mean, we talked about the octopus stuff, uh, the people that oversee these this trial by combat, the Great Compromise, are the Gildish Band aliens from Legion of Superheroes, those uh, purple dicks, for lack of a better phrase, in, in, in floating orbs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I, I'm very excited to see, uh, to see Travel draw those. And then there is probably a secret master behind there that is a genuine surprise that I can't believe DC was okay with, but... That's why sometimes you go right to Dan's office and ask for things and he's in the right mood and you get a yes. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be a great book. And I have any, and, and the funny thing is like I, the, the earth electric warriors are awesome, but my favorite has actually become uh, the representative from Cundia. Uh, from, from, she's been a huge surprise to me. You know, I like to talk about when books surprise you. I didn't know how much I would like Artemis until I started writing her in Wonder Woman. Okay. And I didn't know how much I would like this electric warrior from Cundia uh, until I started writing this book. You know, she was a one. She was I didn't really have an inroad to her other than her own sort of fatal flaw, which is that she's actually the, one of the most impervious people in the galaxy when using the powers of her electric seed. But she could only use those powers defensively or in compassion, and both of those things are mortal sins on Cundia. Is this the Dominator's planet, Cundia? Which is? Oh well, there's actually one that's a Dominator as well. So the uh, so so hold the phone, John. Uh, no, uh, the Cund. So I, I keep saying Cundia because it's extremely hard to say the Cunds. 
Uh, yeah, well, but refresh it's, my memory because it's K H U, right? It's K H U N D S. Yeah, and yeah. They are uh, suffice to say uh, very similar to the Klingons. Um, whoever whoever created them certainly was an original season Star Trek fan. Okay. Were these Legion uh, villains back in the day? I, I I believe way back they were Legion villains. Uh, they might have touched on some Omega Men stuff, so they yes. might be. The, yeah, hopefully. yeah. I think you're right. And so they are, I mean, they are very similar to the Klingons. They're, they come from a grossly overpopulated planet where war and strength is all that they, that they, that they sort of cherish. And so the problem with Serene, who's the, who's the electric warrior from Kundia is that she could, you know, she could be this great defensive fighter. She could be invulnerable, but to do so, she'd have to betray her core values. And, and in her mind, embarrass herself uh, as, as one of her race. So she's actually never been able to activate her electric seed. Every fight that she's won, she's just won with her own strength as a, as, as someone from Kundia. Like a warrior class person. Absolutely. Wow. Dude, that's hilarious. That's fantastic. Jesus Christ. You know, you're, and, and you're putting me to shame in a good way. Cause again, it's like, Oh yeah, I know my bronze age. I know my silver age. And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> Otto Bender, by the way, the original Legion uh, writer that I couldn't think of his name when we were talking about Kurt Swan and Otto Bender and the old classic Legion from the Silver Age. So, if that's any help. Uh, it is, because I didn't know. That. Uh, <laughs> so, but I'll, give, I'll, I'll round out the quick roster as well. So the Electric Warriors are uh, Warcry, Deep Dwellers, I said, Serene. And then the other two, there's a Dominator whose name is Dominator because Dominators don't have names. Okay, makes sense, sure. But the quest for identity is a big part of Dominator's role in the book. Uh, Dominator has the power uh, of constantly building up cellular charge, and if they and if they don't release it through energy blasts or things like that, they eventually will explode in what they've called a gene bomb, which is my very subtle allusion to invasion. Awesome. Uh, Fantastic! It's not subtle, and uh, <laughs> and and then. And so all of these races that uh, we look at are all races that used to be conquering races in great societies that are now in decline. And that includes Earth. And the last one, and they all are on different spectrums of that emotional journey. And the last one is Inceptor. And Inceptor is from the Vrangs. If you want to talk about my deepest cut ever, the Vrangs are from the Kurt Swan action comics era. And way back in the day, like pre-Superman's family, in the old mythic days of Krypton, the Vrangs conquered Krypton uh, and enslaved Krypton. This is all not me. This all happened in a book. Wow. Uh, and they were eventually driven away by the super, like, like old kingdom Egypt to ancient Greece level time ago relative of, of Superman that, like, rode, like, led them out of the caves and was basically Kryptonian Moses and drove them off the planet. Is this, like, World of Krypton kind of back... Ish, you know, no. in the back of action, or go on. Like 1972. So okay, yeah, yeah. Up. You were you were presumably nine. I was so. <laughs> I was eight, but that's good. <laughs> uh, so I was just doing the math from when you were eleven. You but uh, yeah, sixty-four. December is sixty-four. Uh, <laughs> so they're the furthest along this emotional path. So they, rather than everyone who you know, other races who might just be vengeful after being, you know, repelled from a planet they conquered, they took it to heart. And so the Vrangs are pacifists, and rather than even going back to their home planet, 
they became like an agrarian solar powered uh, nomadic fleet. So they, they don't have a home planet. They have the Brank fleet, which travels, uh, which travels the universe. And is a, they're a farming culture now. That's amazing. So, Dude, that's incredible. Very 70s sci-fi. I love it. That's wonderful, there's, man. There's, there's, there's even more, man. But I'm, so I'm very excited about the book. And, yeah, it sucks. Uh, sounds like it's shit, man. I'm sorry you really haven't put much thought on this. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll get some time here. <laughs> Dude, I'm so pleased, honestly, because I'm like, oh, yeah, Electric Warriors, just like back in the 80s, right? <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> very different. And, dude, I'm serious. I I am sure that the listeners are sharing my excitement. This is great. And, you know, honestly, even that little minute that uh, Bendis, and I'm sure he's going to develop it more, uh, put into Man of Steel, where there was that council of, like, intergalactic people and stuff, and he's... I, I'm so thrilled that DC is really kind of stepping up their their cosmic uh, worlds. And again, this period is fantastic to play in because, yeah, how do we come from near collapse to the pristine, you know, world of of uh, the Legion and everything? I, that's amazing. This sounds great. Yeah, you know, when I sat down with Dan, he said that the Legion of Superheroes is the age of enlightenment for the DC Universe's future, so he wants to see the Dark Age. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's and that's and that's what we're giving you and, in in the coolest way possible. And travels perfect, like you said. I mean, you know, his his work on Animal Man, I think, is just just a brief glimmer into what he could potentially do. Yeah, he's 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 crushing the book. So I can't wait for you guys to see that. Cool. Uh, when does that start? September? Uh, I think it starts in November. Okay. Uh, okay. But you know, we'll, we're as I would. I'm someone who wants to make sure we can deliver. So if you see that it maybe kicks back until December, or January, that's probably because I want to make sure we can deliver all six issues on time and by the creative team we promised you. So uh, that's that's that is my hope. You know, I really. I go back and forth as as to as to you know whether you should use fill-ins or things like that. I would rather wait a little longer for Electric Warriors if we need to, and make sure you guys get all the greatness you can out of out of Travel Soul for this book. So hopefully November, but uh, but either way, it's coming to you soon. That's outstanding, man. And and by the way, I, I had a chance to look at um, the images that you sent me, and that looks intriguing, and can't wait to be able to talk about that with you in the future. So uh, that's that's great. It, uh, yeah, I won't I won't I won't say more than that. Other than it looks great, and I, I think it looks very ambitious from an art standpoint and a subject standpoint. So that's that's terrific. But look at you, man. That's that's fantastic. I'm really glad they are giving you the chance to play with the toys that you are playing with because uh, clearly you are bursting with ideas, and I think uh, we're all going to be better for it if we're if we're reading what you're doing. So, Jesus. Wow. Well, I hope everyone will see what you've been seeing by the end of the month. Because I've been, man, we've been working on this for over a year, as I said. And it's, I, it's you know how hard it is to not talk about it? Like, sure. It's hard. It's very hard. <laughs> uh, it's very hard. So, uh, but for people who think the world building of Electric Warriors is interesting, uh, what's coming in my in my dream project is going to be all of that and more. I've never done uh, as much. I've never built a world as enriched as, as what you're going to see in this book. Uh, and, and I have the perfect collaborator to do it with. So I wish I could say more, but, and, and John is seeing a little bit of it, but you'll find out soon. And, and it's going to be, it's easily the best thing I've ever done. Uh, and I don't know how I'm ever going to top it, but that's part of the challenge of, uh, doing this job. 
Hey, man, that's great. And again, I'm glad they are trusting you with your ideas. Uh, it looks like you're. It, it does look like you're getting to do what you want to do with a lot of this stuff, and that's that's obviously the hope. I mean, you know, you know how it is when you're when you're working at a shared universe. You know, it's easy. It's it's understandable sometimes why they say no. So uh, no, this this all sounds amazing. I'm uh, I'm blown away. Well done, dude. Jesus. It's been very fortuitous to have my books be either light continuity or or open continuity in the past year. I should say I I've, I've my amount of comics related wine drinking has has at least been cut. <laughs> uh, it's great. That's excellent, dude. Is there is there anything else that we should talk about uh, before we wrap up? Is there is there any other projects that? Uh, well, I mean, we should, we, you know, we should talk about, we should talk about a couple, just two other things. One of yeah, which please. is, crew- no, we can keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My book at Skybound, which is ongoing. Well, it, it, it's six issues. Issue five is coming out next month. Uh, or actually probably the end of this month and, and crude for, for, for followers of Virgil, actually for readers of Virgil, Midnighter, my sort of, like my sort of across publisher imprint, uh, sort of that I've built up of revenge stories, especially queer focused revenge stories. Uh, crude is right in there. It is, it is about a father who is, uh, an ex like military fixer who to protect his son from the darkness and danger of his life just sort of wears the facade of a typical sort of aloof, reserved Slavic father, hyper-masculine father. And, he might save his son from that, but he drives him away, and he drives him away to the point where they, he, his son doesn't feel comfortable uh, being open about who he is to him. Um, the son is drives, the son is queer, or or is the father also queer? The son is bisexual okay. and goes to a refinery city called Blackstone in the Russian Far East, where he's heard if you work hard and you do your job that you'll be you can live openly and be left alone it's i'm kind of you know similar to like barrow alaska where you know people who live on the edge of the world want to be left alone and just do the thing and that's where he goes unfortunately he comes back in a body bag and and this is all about the father learning too late uh who his son was and and that's sort of grieving for his own failures as a man wow. grieving for his own failures as a father yeah, I mean, it gets taken out in an entire city, and luckily there's a lot of shitbags there uh, to meet him. But uh, but it's a, it's a very emotional book. It's a very hard hitting book, and it's and it and it, I'm super proud of it. I did it with Gary Brown, uh, Lee Luridge, and Thomas Maurer, and it is um, it has a lot of the themes I worked with before from a different perspective. You know, it it is it is it is the tragedy of not speaking to your family. Uh, and, and that's a very heavy thing. So like other things I do, uh, it's the tragedy of not speaking to your family told through a punch in the face opus. And, and, and that's what you're getting with crude. Um, that sounds great. It reminds me a bit of, uh, your boom book that we talked about last time. Two years. Yeah, ago. no, like I, said, I would put that under this umbrella too. I found myself like, that boom coming... tell, tell people the title of that book as well again. Uh, that was namesake, and this is, and, and in many ways, this is the inverse story of, uh, of, of namesake. Sure. And that's like it like namesake was about learning too late who your who your who your parents were uh crude is about learning to, and and sort of anger that comes with that uh crude is about learning too late who your who your children sure. are uh and and the the point of these stories is the too late aspect like i think yeah. the tragedy of our world of our culture and our families is we we always put off tomorrow and we don't talk to each other 
but sometimes, you know, you never know if you're going to actually get tomorrow. So, so if I'm writing about something, I'm writing about that. Um, and you know, all, and that goes into my, my aftershock book, which was announced at San Diego as well, which is probably the last time I'll write about Russia for a while, but it's through my, my last lens, which is, which is, uh, which is speculative folklore. And it's a book called dead Kings. Uh, it is probably my finale with these types of themes unless something else strikes me. Uh, but here we're talking about brothers and we're talking about siblings and, it's set in a far future world. I'm calling it a post post apocalypse. Uh, you know, uh, humanity tends to be a pretty viral strain. Even after we've probably killed the world, there's always going to be someone around. And so we're, we're finally growing back. Uh, but, but in this, in this world, uh, 50 years or excuse me, 10 years or 20 years after, uh, a massive sort of, uh, final fantasy style oil and magic type war, the world persists and the inmates are running the asylum, you know, in a lot of huge swaths of the world, there's no government, there's only a police state and anyone who is different, anyone who stands in the way, uh, much like you see in Chechnya, uh, but expanded to anyone who is different and degenerate, uh, they're rounded up by the Aprichniki, uh, which are the secret police and they're taken to, they're taken to camps. Uh, Dead Kings is about twin brothers, one of whom is in one of those camps and one of whom promises to their mother that he'll rescue him and bring him home before she, before her 50th year. He has one year to do it. Um, and the brother that survived, that, that isn't captured, has abandoned his family, and that's why he, he won't live with them anymore he, because he hates the town they live in. He hates the, the, the history there. And the other one is the one that stayed, and he's paid for it. So Dead Kings is about... It's essentially True Grit uh, plus The Great Escape uh, set in this post-Final Fantasy world. And it sees Sasha Vaznetsov. Uh, all of my characters are named for iconic Russian painters. Anyone with Google will see that. Um, so is the lead in Crude. Um, uh, it sees him teaming up with Maria Kamenaya, who is, uh, during the Great War, was this this sort of war machine. She wore, like, Essentially, like a like a rusty, almost like kaiju, like not kaiju size, but but juggernaut esque rocket red type suit. Okay, you know, mm -hmm. this, this could have been the world's darkest rocket red book. And uh, when the world turned and the appreciation took over, uh, they were, she wasn't willing to join them. She wasn't willing to cross the lines they would cross. And so, the government that was her lover, that was her mother, that was her father for her whole life that made her completely abandon her. And so she too has basically been living in a bottle for a generation. Um, but Sasha's story, uh, of rescuing, of rescuing his brother from this camp sort of inspires her to go with them. And, and she becomes the rooster Cogburn of the story in this, uh, sh like shitty, like, like sparking rocket red esque outfit. Uh, and they break back into, they break back into what used to be the Slavic empire to, to save his brother. Uh, and it's going to be drawn by Matthew Dow Smith. It's going to be also, uh, also lettered by Thomas Maurer. And we're going to have Lauren Affey coloring it, uh, who's worked on revisionist, who's doing stranger things now. Cool. Um, and, and that's going to be coming out starting in October. 
I think, like I said, I think that'll be the last time I write about Russia and the, these sort of family things for a while. But I lived there in 2007. I have a lot to say. Uh, and I think I will have said it with this, you know, again, until DC says, hey, come do this Red Star book for us. Right, um, or Rocket Red. I mean, it's, I, believe me, the Aftershock thing, it sounds terrific. But I, boy, you just kind of casually threw out Rocket Red. And it's like, man, what would Rocket Red be like in today's, you know, uh, Putin's atmosphere and everything? I think would be very interesting to you know, explore. Well, the rocket red from the JLI era would be extremely cynical and uh, probably not live there anymore. Right. And then there, and then there, and then there probably be probably be a new one that thinks that the old times weren't that bad. Right. Uh, and red star too, for there, that matter. Absolutely. <laughs> Go on. When I, when I lived there, when I lived there, I had so many people my age say that, oh, well, Stalin was the greatest leader in the history of Russia, and like, which is crazy because. On a percentage basis, like there's a good chance if you're if you are uh, if you live there and you've always lived there that like someone in your family was killed by him, like just in a pure numbers sure. basis. Jesus, yeah, I got. Um, is it, it Bill Burr? Like has a whole hunk about how you know Hitler's kind of the ultimate you know villain of the 20th century, and it's like uh, really if you count by the numbers, Stalin was pretty pretty horrendous, and you know yeah. It's you know it's the creepiest argument I think you know that that a sports fan might have to and even put it in sports terms and stuff like that. So yeah, that's insane. Well, that's you know it's the sad thing is as as people often joke about when it's your own people no one really notice. Yeah. Uh, but, so that's what happened with him. But anyway, so that's what's going on at aftershock. And uh, so is that a final series? They're both going to be, yeah. So Crude is six issues. And, and wrapping, Crude is wrapping up, correct? It is, yeah. And then Dead Kings will be going through into next year. That's going to be five issues. Okay. Damn, man. They uh, both sound amazing. Yeah. And I got some other stuff in the works, too, but we're going to have to let those get a little further along. Well, we have an excuse of uh, reconvening of the quicker than two years. No. That's true. That's true. I mean, I mean, you know, I can go another hour if you want to talk about UFC, but like the the medium, the medium violence sports, I've, I've never gotten into. Just the full violence. Yeah, you know me, man. I'm I'm, I'm all about boxing, and I uh, got big big upset this weekend. I, my favorite light heavyweight, Sergey Kovalev, is eating canvas and everything. It was a shocking knockout. Um, well, that's because there was a massive upset at UFC 227 this weekend. What happened? As well. Talk to me. It's something in the water. No, I mean, I mean, like. I want to say it was flyweight. I actually forget the weight class, okay. but but Demetrius Johnson, who's one of the best pound for pound MMA fighters uh, in the Fed, uh, you know, basically undefeated, ended up getting upset by this dude, uh, you know, Sejuda, who had no chance of. I mean, obviously a chance, but was not favored to beat him because no one could beat this guy. His nickname is Mighty Mouse, and uh, and uh, you watch it happen live. That's one of the reasons I like. Uh, I like boxing or I like combat sports is because you know there's there's always a puncher's chance. Absolutely, you know, man. No, anything can happen. Hundred percent. I uh, who did I just see? George St. Pierre wants to come out of retirement and fight. He does oh, well. His face the oh, and we didn't talk about that because I think it happened after we talked. Conor McGregor is who he wants to fight or whatever. And uh, what, well, see. St. Pierre is like like he spends half his time like sitting on the fence of retirement because he came back like earlier this year or last year for one fight and won and then was just like pieced out again. Interesting. Um, I mean, I'm not McGregor. That's uh, there you go. I can hear it in your voice. Absolutely, Stephen. I 
Man, I got to tell you, I, ugh, I actually, I actually have a very simple opinion. I kind of, I can't stand him, and I would love to see him get his ass well, kicked. Uh, I think he, he's a genius. Like he's a shoot fighter that stole Ric Flair's gimmick and made it real. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I never even thought of the comparison. That's very interesting. Like basically, even wears the same clothes. I think he's acknowledged that too. Like he, he is just, but, but you know, like I. Uh, Someone's gonna beat him, and and it'll be and it'll be exciting. Like it was like Mayweather McGregor. He was always gonna lose because there was no way McGregor, or excuse me, Mayweather was gonna go into UFC or UFC rules. Right. So he's fighting with one hand behind his back, figuratively. It was both his knees behind his back, but you know what I mean. I do, and, and exactly no, and that's so yeah. And what did you th- what did you think of that spectacle? Well, you know what I. I always like to see a shit talker get his get ass kicked. Like that, that that happened in the main that happened that happened in the main event of UFC this past weekend. Cody Garbrandt just got like humbled by TJ Dillashaw, who's one of my favorite guys. Okay. And you know, I can't feel too bad about Garbrandt. It came out. I mean, he is a massive shit talker. And on top of that, it came out that he just like thinks that he's in the club where, as a white guy, he can drop the end bomb all the time. Lovely. So charming. Don't really feel that bad that he got beaten in a minute, under two minutes, like just a drive-by mugging. Is he an American but, or is he a foreigner? No, he's he's American. Because okay. so even McGregor, it's like, all right, well, you know, I guess Ireland has its own rules about certain things, I guess. Uh, you know, but yeah, okay, even shittier then. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what a douchebag. Like on top of me, all of this, me wanting to see him get his ass kicked, uh, which by the way, again, like this is classic pro wrestling heel psychology. The reason... People don't show up to see Ric Flair win. They show up to see him get his ass true, kicked. Cause you true. Stand. But anyway, uh, all that aside, I, I must say uh, I do have respect for him lasting as long as he did against Mayweather because he is not a boxer. And so to step in your first ever actual boxing match and you go however long he did with one of the greatest fighters in history, like yeah. – I have to respect that. I'm, I didn't feel too bad when he finally lost, obviously, but but it lasted. It went longer than I thought it well, would. Well, I understand, and, I, and you'll forgive me being the boxing guy that I am, but I was just like Mayweather. Just he let him last as long as he did. He just kind of let him tire himself out, and then he turned him on. Uh, he turned it on, and that's that's what I saw. And also, just a couple of the punches that McGregor was throwing were literally. It was like a Three Stooges hammer move, where you know he would like club. Uh, with his fist, as opposed to throwing a direct punch, he would re- like you know in in hammer fashion, just like hit him on the top of that, and it's like yeah, that's illegal, and, and no, you're not supposed to do that stuff. And also, good lord, uh, I mean, I love Floyd, but that is the worst that I've seen Floyd ever. And it's smart that that was Floyd's last fight. He was so flat footed, and he really looked like an old man. He finally looked like a forty year old fighter, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, that was the last time. I I will admit, like, I don't. I I'm relatively new to UFC, so I I feel like boxing is a whole other set of trading cards. Sure. I I watched Mayweather and Pacquiao, and then I watched this. Uh, I mean, I had no one. I, I mean, I was for Mayweather and Mayweather Pacquiao too, just because Pacquiao is not a great dude. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, I know. It's he's been very disappointing with his public comments. I used to appreciate him as a fighter because he reminded me especially as he was coming up another terrible person but a great fighter he reminded me very much of duran yeah i mean i liked uh i don't know if you ever saw the tmz interview where like 
like Dave Batista casually admitted his mom was a, is a lesbian, and he was like threatening to just kick the shit out of Pacquiao <laughs> because because he's they're both from the Philippines, and uh, or at least Dave is a Philippine background. I didn't know Filipino. That. Okay. And they were like asking his opinion about it, and he was like, "Yeah, that's some bull." Like yeah. he, you know, he just he just went off on it. I like Batista Batista's uh, propensity to really have no shits, uh, given what he says about things. Sometimes it's not the best take, but sometimes it's the perfect take. I'm with you. No, I, I appreciate his candor, <laughs> and I, I I'm I'm really I've been not only the Guardians, but also he was like one of the best things about Spectre, the Bond movie, and I was just like. Man, I'm gonna. You got to pay attention to Dave Bautista. He he could very well be another, you know, Dwayne Johnson or one of these guys that I think, given the right uh, platforms and stuff, is going to be a, a pretty entertaining guy beyond his athleticism. I think he is. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, The Rock is a once in a lifetime guy, like, and that's and that's charisma. You Absolutely. Know? Like, yes. And I think Bautista is great in his lane. I don't. I think he's got a ceiling, but I like I like that he's there, and I like that he's there being vocal about things that are important. Uh, okay. In addition to just being huge, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's 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 interesting. It's no it's no surprise to me that The Rock has been the person to cross over from pro wrestling and and actually make the jump. You know, yes. like it like I'm, I'm not talking about Three Ninjas, High Noon, and Thunder Mountain or right, whatever. Right, or Thunder with, in, like, Thunder in Paradise, Hulk's uh, old uh, TV show with Jimmy Hart. Yeah, no, I mean that shit. Uh, suburban Commando, you know, but like, but but there's something special about The Rock and his and his ability to connect with people. I mean, people will shit talk wrestling all the time, but uh, it is sort of like there's no laugh track and there's no like it, you either can can you can either are are magnetic to a crowd or not. So I also think it's kind of a crucible when it comes to uh, dealing with people. Agreed. You know, like you. Can, you can die out there. I mean, just like live theater, by the way. Like, obviously, they're different, but you either get a reaction or you don't. And it's not like you know, no amount of marketing or anything will help you. You're when you're out there and three thousand people are staring at you and either think you're the the worst or not. So, um, I, I, I I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised it's the Rock. But I love that Batista's there. I think I I love that Cena is coming up and actually is pretty good at comedy. Cena's I think. very funny, and I completely agree with you. Absolutely, good lord! The the sisters movie with uh, Amy Poehler and um, and uh, uh, Tina Fey and everything. I thought he was great in that. He's obviously great in uh, Trainwrecked and uh, yeah. And dude, that you know, like it's funny he gets booed in wrestling all the time, but that dude has done more Awaken Make a Wish than anyone in history. That's cool. So, uh, That's cool. What you uh, keep going? No, keep going, and then I'll ask oh, you no, questions. It's like like it's 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 just interesting, like. I can't imagine being him. Like on one hand, I like I can't imagine coming out and and getting John Cena sucks from five thousand people. Uh, but at the same time, like maybe I could if I was a multimillionaire. <laughs> I yeah, I, th- I I I think he knows that you know again the people that get beyond what what happens in the ring and wrestling and everything and yeah the you know whatever uh, that that you know we appreciate him as well and. Yeah, I think he, you know, he know, he knows the role he's playing in everything. I wanted to ask you about the two recent uh, documentaries, the Andre the Giant documentary and the Thirty for Thirty with Flair. What'd you think of those? Uh, well, actually, in full confession, I have not seen either of them yet. Oh wow! So, oh, dude, you're gonna love them. Uh, I mean, I know. Um, 
they're both really interesting people. I mean, Flair is, I've met him a couple times and, uh, Me too. like the, the guy's had an insane life. So on one hand you see like, Oh Rick, you're at the bar. It's five. Uh, but, but, but then again, like he survived a plane crash. Yeah. Like he's this stuff with his son, Reed Heart, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Uh, like, like he's had not to mention bumping from age, probably 18 to, uh, he, he's probably taking a bump right now outside of a bar. Probably, you know, probably. Yeah. Uh, uh joking aside, he was, he, he, he was bumping until his early sixties. Yeah, so like, yeah. I can't imagine. Maybe the heart, yeah, exactly. Maybe the heart surgery slowed him down. As far as bumping and everything. Yeah, maybe. You never know. Uh, so, like, and yet, like, and yet, yeah, he's still, he's still flair, even though he's, like, almost 70 years. He's probably getting close to 70 yeah, now. Yeah. Like, just signed at my friend's booth uh, in New York, I think, last year. God love me. He goes to the bathroom. He comes back. He's cutting a promo on the guy in the bathroom for taking too long. Like he, he just, he, he's just always him, you know? I, he, uh, one time I was working out at a Chicago suburban gym and he happened to be there working out and was incredibly nice to everybody. And then the rock station that I worked at, he came in and we, we had him do a promo and it was a little difficult for him when we're like, you know, while, while I'm wrestling guys in the ring, Frank, Frankie Lee's wrestling with his conscience and he, he had a little trouble with that, but. He, he managed to finally do it, but yeah, he was he was killing me. So my guy was Bobby Heenan, and I and I still am so sad that he's no longer with us. And was one of the most naturally funny guys that I've ever met. And I was really lucky when I worked in the sports radio station for ten years. We had a really good relationship with the WWE, and we'd get a, you know Goldberg came through and Hacksaw came through and so many of these guys. But Heenan would just always come, and he w grew up in Chicago. And truly, like, one of the fastest, funniest guys who always had, like, a quick line. And to see him, you know, uh, have the the brain, you know, dysfunction that he ended up with and everything and how he went out, it was just like, oh, man. You know, kind of like Ali, where it's like, oh, there's a guy that's so glib and, and really a funny guy and everything. I don't know. So. It's, yeah, I mean, Heenan, uh, probably one of the two best managers of all time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like and the other one is Paul Heyman, um, but he's incredible. And as you said, like it's all about the quickness, you know. Like it's about the ability to sort of think on your feet. If you are having a dead crowd, or if you are being heckled by someone, you know, like it's funny. I was at a show. Um, my friend is telling me all about British Strong Style, which are these three wrestlers from obviously England. Okay. And I've, I'm a huge fan of Pete Dunne, who's one of them. And, like, he's cruiserweight size, but his, he's called the bruiserweight. And his whole gimmick is that, you know, everyone else is doing flips and shit. And, like, he doesn't do any of that. He just punches you in the face. So, uh, uh, and so I've always liked And he looks like a dude from Peaky Blinders. Like, he's just great. And then, uh, and then the other one is this super young dude who's super strong and athletic named Tyler Bate. And then they were both trained by this guy, Trent Seven, who... I've never really gotten in the past, you know, like he's in a tag team with Tyler Bate called Mustache Mountain and they both have gorgeous mustaches. And, uh, you know, Trent is just like not in great shape. He's not in bad shape, but he's not in great shape. And I never really got it because my friend who is really and really into wrestling was like, Trent is the guy. And um, I was at a show Sunday 
uh, here in Boston, okay. and uh, and they're out there in a, in a in a in a tag match. It's him and Pete Dunne, Trent and Pete Dunne, and uh, you know they're starting off very technical, and and Pete is doing this like you know basically mat wrestling type thing with this other guy, Jonathan Gresham, uh, for for what seems like a long time, probably five minutes, uh, and 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 suddenly some of the crowd goes, "Why don't you just kiss?" And first of all, in 2018, saying something lightly, lightly broy like that and uncomfortable like that gets you booed instead of cheered. So everybody boos him, and and Trent like Trent hears it and makes like some sort of like like you know shove off hand motion to him uh, and blows him a kiss, and then proceeds to incite everyone in the ring to stop the match and start making out just to hear. <laughs> and like and and at the end so they all make out with each other and then all four of them make out with the ref and and then after that he has one kiss for the crowd that he like puts into his hand and he's like going from side to side of the ring you know to, you know holding this obviously non-existent fucking thing uh and their crowd is just blowing up you know like when hulk hogan would look at one one of the corners of the arena like to to who can cheer the sure, loudest sure uh, uh, you oh, know, so they're enjoying which, it. They're not like what? <laughs> no, that's the point. And so they're 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 popping enormously for this British guy because they all want this fake kiss he's caught in his hand. But the point is, is that like he could have just gotten like angry or something at that heckler. But instead, not only did he turn it around, but like completely, like completely had like won the crowd over. Enraptured the crowd. Yeah, that's and, cool. And, that's good. <laughs> and, and, and knew to listen to it and build it and build it rather than just do one thing. Like knew to follow the reaction, knew to follow the energy. And so now I think, as my friend said, he's the best wrestler of those three. That's hilarious. Uh, but but that's my long story about why people like Heenan are great, why people like Heyman are great, uh, because they they always know how to get exactly what they want out of a crowd or out of an interview, and, and that's pretty special. I can't do it. I'm here. I am t- on a comics podcast talking about wrestling and boxing and UFC. So clearly, I can't even do it myself. Yeah, but you know, uh, the, the, <laughs> dude, you know, there's a weird connection. I mean, Aubrey Aubrey Citizen is a classic example of that. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always well, first of all, I always welcome the boxing tangents. You know that. And I'm I'm just not as up to date with either UFC or wrestling. But no, I appre- I appreciate the combat sports as well, and I'm telling you, man, you're gonna you you got to see these docs. They're fantastic, and I and truly I do. I always want to talk to all, all of you. I mean, Joelle and I were talking last night, and uh, she hadn't seen the Hedy, the Hedy Lamar uh, documentary that's on Netflix now and was on public television. And you know, we're talking about Catwoman and stuff, and and uh, you know, Hedy, Hedy Lamar was the one of the inspirations for Catwoman apparently back in the day. And it's like, oh God, you got to see this. This is amazing. So, yeah, no, this is well, what we do. We'll do another podcast where we talk about uh, where we talk about movies. I just uh, I just rewatched Werner Herzog's Bad Lieutenant. Fantastic, and excellent. It's so much better than I remembered, man. <laughs> like, cool. It's so much better than I remembered. Like the. Do you, have you seen it recently enough no, to remember? No, I haven't. No, uh, easily ten years, if not longer. Yes. Oh my god! Like all you need to know is that there's a scene where Cage has returned to uh, an assisted living facility um, to reinterrogate 
like a 90 year old English woman on oxygen and her and her caretaker. And they walk, they, she, the caretaker wheels the woman into the room. And as the door closes, Cage is just there behind and he's shaving for no reason with an electric clippers and just sneering at them. Uh, and it's incredible. He's like a ghoul that has just like emerged from the wall. Um, and like everything about his character in that movie is just so bizarre. He starts hallucinating iguanas, as you might remember. Um, like I just love, like clearly like Herzog was bored with making a procedural movie and you could see when it would happen. Cause he would like put an iguana in there or at one point, like at one point people get shot and Cage is like, shoot him again, shoot him again. And, and, and exhibit says they're dead. And he, and Cage is like, yeah, but his soul is still dancing. And you come to the dude, and there's someone dressed, and, and the guy is breakdancing in front of Cage, but only Cage can see it. In front of his dead body, his soul self is breakdancing. That's amazing. Just, it's so bizarre. But, you know, Herzog is one of my big guys. Like, I, I, I've i got a book of interviews I read for, of his uh, when I'm needing to be reminded why we do what we do. Um and uh, his documentaries are awesome too. That's a whole other podcast. But if you haven't seen Into the Inferno, I suggest you watch that. I appreciate that, and I I may have to do that. That's excellent. No, dude, it's like good, good tangents. What are you talking about, Steve? You're doing good, man. This is why this is why people come to Word Balloon. I am convinced because truly, this is what uh, listeners tell me. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great to hear about the books and stuff, but isn't it interesting that you know Creator X is into Y? And I'm like, yeah. It is. Make sure you tell them that when you see them in Artist Alley. And they usually do. So I'm, uh, I'm expecting uh, some more balloon people to let you know at your future conventions and stuff that uh, they're into this shit, too. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell them. I'll, I'll end by saying, you know, I just moved to a new apartment and then uh, I keep two pictures across the room uh, on, on one of the uh, coffee tables here. And uh, one of them is of Bill Goldberg. Because uh, apparently I found when I was home like six months ago, I was in the Bill Goldberg fan club in the 1990s. So I have a signed Goldberg picture. Lovely. Fantastic. The man, Goldberg, he was a good guy. As, as Heenan would say specifically. There's like M dashes on both sides of the man. Uh, <laughs> the man. Uh, and then the other one, the other one is of Ina Garten. Is of who? Is of the Barefoot Contessa Ina Garten. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, so. <laughs> That's fantastic. See, we'll have to do the cooking uh, podcast as well. Dude, I'm telling you, if I was Lord of Podcasting and had money to burn, uh, we would be doing, you know, a you, me, Ed Brisson, uh, probably Rucka and some of the others. We'd be talking about crime movies and stuff. And I was going to say, Brisson couldn't be on the, on, the, on the cooking podcast. No, no. Yeah, I don't know who else. That's a good question. But, I, hey, I love, I love cooking. Dad was, Dad Dave, was a restaurateur. Hey. I, I, I learned my way around the hey. kitchen. Dave McKegg is a really good cook. Oh, and Matt Wagner. Matt Wagner is like a huge, like amazing chef and foodie Yes, as well. I did know that about Matt. And it reminds me, again, there's another guy that hasn't been on in, in a couple years that uh, needs to come back. So I always love talking. Matt, Matt's truly, like, that was so flattering uh, to know that Matt was like, oh, yeah, I'll come back. I had fun talking to you. And I'm like, oh, man, that means a lot. I've been reading your comics for years. So, it's, yeah, I, lo I love Matt. Matt's tremendous. He's one, of, he's, he's one of the really good guys. And you're right. I mean, really, when the word foodie was still brand new, uh, that was a good description of Matt. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, when I travel, when I go to California to see my mentor, who's Steve Siegel or Steven Oh, Siegel. that's cool. 
I didn't know he was your mentor. Go on. He, uh, if he wants to, if he wants to sell me on a restaurant, knowing that I used to work at Food and Wine, he'll say that he'll say that something is Matt Wagner approved. That's that's hilarious. His his wife Liesel, they are. I'm hoping they're still married. They are. Well, they're actually not married, but they're still together. Okay. They've never. Oh, I didn't. Oh, maybe they never. They never did get married. Nope, that's just the thing. But Steve has a lot of things, as I'm sure you oh, know. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, I knew Liesel better because um, she was friends with a bunch of uh, people at the rock station that I worked at. And then as things progressed and stuff, it was like, you know, Liesel's husband is really into comics. You should talk to him. Uh, Steve Siegel. I'm like, Sandman Mystery Theater, Steve Siegel? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, after that, I'd see him at conventions and stuff. And, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Liesel in decades. Literally since the nineties, I, I stayed with him two weeks ago. Aww. I have to send you one. I have to send you one more picture now, just because uh, it's so, it's so germane to what we're talking about. So I've known uh, I've known Steve since I was uh, twelve. That's great. Uh, him and Joe Kelly love Joe as well. Met me actually. It was at World Chicago. And uh, found out I wanted to write comics, and and decided that they were gonna, you know, take pity on me and actually show me how to do it. That's awesome. Well, half the men of action. That doesn't surprise me. They're good dudes. They've been they've been doing that uh, for better or worse, you know, since since I was twelve, and I'm thirty two now. So, but what I'm going to show you is uh, a photo. Oh no, it's too big. Oh, you can text it to me or whatever if you want. It's it's or email it to me. Write me your number in this, and I'm going to text it to you. Okay, I uh, in this messenger. It's a photo that I've been hunting for legitimately for two decades, and uh, almost to the point where it's becoming like a unicorn photo. And I and I didn't know if it existed. Um, and turns out it does. Okay, I was at the uh, I was at the DC offices, and uh, one of my editors is a former Wizard editor, and. He now has an archive of all the old Wizard magazines. Oh wow, that's is that Mike Cotton? Uh, well, it's actually Cunning, uh, Brian oh, Cunningham, sure. but Cotton sure. also. So uh, anyway, he was like, "Give me a couple minutes," and sent me the photo that I'm now sending to you when it eventually comes through. Okay, I send you my number. So there you go. You, you know, I don't even think Lisa would remember my name because again, it was more of our uh, being uh, mutual friends of uh, of these theater people. And everything. Okay, I got it. Hold on. Awesome. Oh my god, that's awesome. Look at those yeah. enterprising men. Yeah. No, they're young and they're young and vital. I like. <laughs> one of those people. One of those people is not aged a day. I I don't know. I haven't seen Joe or Steve in a while. Steve kind of looks the same, doesn't he? Or has he gotten a little older? I wasn't talking about Steve. <laughs> Joe Kelly still looks great. Very nice. You're killing me. That's fantastic. Uh, but anyway, yeah that that is that is the year I met those guys. So that's wonderful, man. That's insane. I got to tell you, one of the great early badges of honor for me was in the letter page of Wizard when when podcasting was brand new. Um, I believe it was Alan Heinberg actually who they asked and said, "What are your favorite podcasts?" And he's like, oh, Word Berlin's really good. I'm like, oh, that's really nice. And look at me and Wizard. That's fantastic. So It is. I It actually hurts me all the time that the Wizard Top Ten is not around anymore. I feel like so much of our identity was lost when we could no longer be told 
arbitrarily who is who are the top ten creators <laughs> in comics. I just miss those kinds of magazines, and I really, for a while, it felt like the the news blogs were doing a really good job of replacing what we got in Wizard and Comics Journal and God my era, Amazing Heroes and Comics Interview and some of the other magazines. And everything now, no offense to any of our friends who, you know, do that stuff, that are good journalists and still write deep pieces and stuff. It's all top five lists and clickbait and whatever. Okay. I mean, uh, you I mean, know. have you read the magazine DC's putting out now, DC Nation? It is, uh, it, it should be very apparent that we have former wizard uh, editorial on staff, as I guess what I would Oh, say. that's, you know, that's a good point, and that's funny. It's in my stack of what I bought last week, and I haven't gotten it to gotten to it yet. Um, and I have the, the other issue, the first issue as well. So, yeah, I should probably look at that. You know, it's great, and this is teasing a future word balloon, Robert Greenberg, which technically you could describe as a clickbait sort of uh, blog thing, but there's this great coffee table book of the Justice League's 100 Greatest Moments. And Hatchet's putting it out, and or Hachet, I don't even know how you, how you would necessarily say the publisher, but uh, I'm talking to I'm talking to Bob about it, and um, yeah, it's great. Honestly, I just I just got it at the beginning of the week, and uh, it's fantastic. And Bob Greenberg always does really great kind of coffee table books about comic book history, and he's written a ton of about Star Trek as well. So that's awesome. No, I didn't even know that was happening. Um... Yeah, I should That's see if the there's top. any uh, Steve Orlando moments there, because uh, they they, <laughs> they go pretty contemporary, surprisingly. Well, I hope there is. Yeah, man. See. Jeez. Well, dude, nice going. And honestly, this is I, I love this part of the conversation as much as I did hearing about Electric Warriors and and then Crude and the like. Absolutely, man. So uh, no, good fun. And uh, yeah, I, like I told you, I'm I'm like ninety percent certain I'm going to uh, New York. So hopefully, I'll see you in October. Right now, man, I'll be there. Beautiful. Excellent. And truly, yeah, let's uh, let's not wait two years. I Seriously, sometimes, as I'm sure you know, you, you see somebody at a concert, oh, yeah, 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 you got to come back and stuff. And then I do realize that, oh, no, two years have gone by. It's like, oh, shit. It's never intentional, dude. No, it's all good. I've been I've been I've been running around too, but I'm uh, I should be I should be stuck in one place for a little bit now, so we can keep it up. Beautiful, man. All right. Thanks again for coming on and uh, looking forward to the the third conversation with Steve Orlando. Right on, man. Steve Orlando, lots of projects on the horizon, including Electric Warriors, his excellent uh, other comics that are coming out, and of course his current run on Wonder Woman. Check him out. Great to talk to Steve. Looking forward to my next conversation as well. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon episode, brought to you again by Terrificon this weekend at Mohegan Sun. Also, uh, the League of Word Balloon listeners, if you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can go to the front page of wordballoon.com and click on that Patreon ad. But thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. Uh, there is some really great uh, product waiting for you with uh, Steve's name on it from InStock Trades. You can get things like Undertow, a great image comic that Steve wrote uh, years ago, a great undersea adventure. It is 70% off, only $4.49. You can get his terrific run on Supergirl. The three volumes are available. The Reign of the Cyborg Superman. In fact, we talked about that in his last conversation about how the Cyborg Superman suddenly popped up. 
but uh, this first volume is 42% off, $9.85. There's The Escape from the Phantom Zone, Volume 2. That is $9.85. And then Volume 3, The Girl of No Tomorrow, all great Supergirl stories, 42% off, $8.69. Pretty neat stuff. You can also get uh, his Batman Shadow crossover that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Um, Volume 1 is uh, the hardcover, 30% off, $17.49. There's also a hardcover that is signed by Steve. It's uh, 30% off. $48.99. $48.99. And then, of course, there's Midnighter Volume 2. Hard. I wonder what they're trying to tell us there. Uh, 42% off for that. It's $8.69. So uh, tons of books with Steve Orlando's name on them. Great stories waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. Not just Steve Orlando. Lots of other great creators, your favorite creators, at really great prices. So waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. I know I will at Terrificon. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Um, I will be bringing Terrificon panels, but also Brian Edward Hill, who's doing an excellent run on Detective, had an incredible series at Top Cow called Postal, and uh, is one of the writers of the Titans television show that will be appearing on the new DC Universe streaming service. So lots of interesting stories from Brian Edward Hill. I hope you'll join me for the next Word Balloon. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.